So I was what I would call a typical middle school boy, and I want to qualify this as pre-internet middle school boy, typical, because riding bikes, playing outside, this is pre-internet middle school boy. That was my childhood, going outside, um, doing things like building forts, playing in the woods, riding bikes. And so in the neighborhood I grew up in, there were homes that were being built. And so a lot of times what we would do, my friends and I, we would go to these houses and we would hang out and wait for the time when they would have the scrap wood, because the scrap wood is stuff you could build your forts with. And so we would hang out there and get the scrap wood, and you could also get like some really sweet bike ramps with the scrap wood. And so we would make these bike ramps, and I remember one time, one of my friends, his father was one of the ones building the houses, and we're there hanging out, like it just seems like all they're doing is moving the dirt and putting little sticks in the ground, this is taking forever, I want some wood because we need to build a fort. And so I asked his dad, like, why is this taking forever? We need to get to the wood part. And he explains to me that the foundation takes a lot of attention, a lot of care. He puts a lot of work into making sure the foundation is right, because he says if the foundation of the house is not done with care, the whole structure won't stand. So fast forward. Adult Tommy, 2008. I am moving to Greene County. And after a little time in a rental home, we are looking to buy a house and put down roots. And so we are looking and we're learning about, you know, the rules of real estate, which are pretty simple to remember. Location, location, location. That's all you have to know. So we find a house in a great location, and it happens to have a sweet deck and a cool opportunity for a man cave. We're like, this is great. One problem. This house has a crack going down the foundation inside the basement. And so no matter how much we loved the location, it was in a great location, great neighborhood, great view, we ended up not buying that house. In fact, the house that we did buy is not in a good location. It's below the road, which is like a no-no for water damage. You don't buy a house that's below the level of the road. And so here we are in a home that's like that. And here, one of the conversations with the contractor of our house, he made sure that I knew that he took extra time to like pour the concrete into the cinder block of the house. I think he wanted to tell me because I think that cost a lot of extra money. Um, but here's what I know. Even though our home is not in a great location as far as the damages and the danger that water happens, in 10 years of living in this house, I've not had water in my basement and we've not had a foundation problem. So location, no matter if you have a location of a home, that's incredible. If you have a weak foundation, you're going to have problems. And even if you have one that might not be the greatest location, if you spend time on a strong foundation, the house will stand. Now, I recognize as I tell this, some of you are like, yep, I know this. I know these rules. And some of you are, are probably thinking, great, thanks for bringing up all of my trauma from foundation issues with my house. If that's you and you've had to deal with that, I'm sorry. You don't need me to tell you how difficult that is. You know this is hard because foundations are important. We recognize that foundations matter. We've experienced this in our lives. And the same is true not just with a house, but the same is true about foundations that are less tangible than just bricks. Foundations that we would say are things we place our trust in or our time or we make an investment in and we rest and trust in these foundations. For example, think about something else in your life that might be foundational, like a career path. And if you recognize this, maybe in your life, you've not had to deal with a foundation problem in your home. 
But maybe you did spend years and years and years going to school and training, tens of thousands of dollars in a career path that suddenly collapsed. Or maybe it wasn't a career path that you saw disintegrate. Perhaps it was a relationship that you invested many hours and much time and much of your heart in only to see it crumble. Or perhaps for you, someone brought you news or some type of proof that caused you to doubt everything you had believed in before. Chances are all of us have experienced something in our lives that have rocked us to the core, causing us to question the foundation that we are building upon. You see, the truth is all of us are building upon some foundation. All of us are placing our trust in something and building. I'm not sure if you've thought about that much, but I'd like to encourage you this morning to do so. To think about the foundation in light of the text that we're reading. Think about the foundations you build your life upon. We're going to come back to that as we make it through the message today. So please do think about this. What are you building your life upon? So let's look again at our text. We're going to jump backwards just one verse into verse 18 to begin because it helps with the thought that's going on here as Paul, our author, has really been working a thought forward. And so if we just peek backwards one verse, we can see how this takes shape a little bit more. So verse 18 says, for through him, we both, which would be a Jew and a Gentile, as we've been learning, a Jew and a Gentile are someone who is religious all of their life to someone who's new to Christianity. We both have access in one spirit to the Father. We've been studying all throughout Ephesians what God has done in Christ. It's incredible as we kind of discover that each week. If we looked backwards towards the beginning of Ephesians and we see what God is doing in the lives of Christians, we would see that God has chosen us before the foundation of the world, that for Christians God has blessed them with every spiritual blessing, adopted through Jesus Christ, redeemed by the blood and forgiven of sins, lavished with grace, given a purpose, obtained an inheritance and sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then last week we learned that the hostility that exists between Jews and Gentiles was destroyed and Jesus brought peace where there was once extreme hostility. And this amazing journey leads us to verse 19 where our text is today. It says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You know, it's easy for us to miss this concept of citizenship or being an alien because as an American citizen, we have the freedom to travel wherever we want through any state, really kind of from one coast to the other. We go from like sea to shining sea, you know how that works, like all the way across. You can drive and not worry about that, but we can only do that because we have citizenship as an American citizen. Imagine someone who does not, and they are in a land that they don't belong. They live with a constant worry that someone might notice them. A constant worry or fear that if someone saw them, that they would get sent out of their home or their land. So to gain citizenship is a big deal. Because not only do they gain the rights of that, but they also become family. And so these strangers and these aliens that, are, that Paul is talking about here, 
Remember, these are the same people that at the beginning of chapter 1, in verse 1, Paul called them dead. In verse 3, these are people that are children of wrath. Verse 12 says they were alienated and strangers without any hope in the world. These are the same people. So what a change it is. And I'm not sure if you realize this, but if you're in this room today, chances are you fall into the category of Gentile. And so this is you, dead, far off, alienated, and without hope. But because of Jesus, Paul is saying you are now part of a new family. You now have hope. No fear. In fact, you belong. And this is the church, a place of belonging, a family. In fact, if you've ever been in a church context and you heard somebody say this phrase, hey brother, or hey sister, and you thought, you're weird because I'm not your brother or your sister. This is where that's coming from. This, this idea, this, this scripture is part of where that's coming from. And you're thinking, like, if you're in Greene County and you're one of, like the good old Greene County family is everything, you're not my blood family, that's reserved for special people. If you know what that means and what that feels like, and then you come to a church context and they're like, hey, brother, that might feel a little strange to you, but here's what I want you to see. Friends, listen to this. When we put up barriers of hostility against outsiders we are missing the truth of this text as a church family if we put up barriers of hostility and we say no then we have missed that the church is designed to be a place of belonging this is a place fcc this church is a place where you have a home where you belong no matter your past no matter if you feel like a stranger or an outsider, no matter if you're religious your whole life or if you're new to this church thing, what Jesus offers you is a home. You have status here because you have a family and you belong. And so this church, this people, this people, we are built, verse 20, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone. Consider the foundation upon which the church rests. All Christians as part of the building are founded on the revelation and teaching conveyed by these people. In other words, if you are a believer today, it is because you received your faith from someone before you who passed it on, who received it from someone before them and before them and before them all the way to Jesus himself. Jesus is the very cornerstone and today we might so easily miss that because when we think cornerstone, we think like that little block on the side of a building that's got dates and names engraved on it. It's sort of like this modern day ribbon cutting ceremony or like, yeah, whoopee. But for ancient building, this was a big deal. So let's think about that. Here's what that would mean. This cornerstone had to be the very best of the stones because it was laid first. It needed to be strong. It needed to be level. It needed to be plumb because it would determine how the building was laid. It is fair to say that the integrity, the size, the strength of a structure was determined by the cornerstone. And so listen to what Scripture tells us about Jesus, the cornerstone. 1 Corinthians 3 
11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Isaiah 26, 4. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is the cornerstone upon which God is building his church, and the scriptures are clear that there is no other foundation that can be laid or that is solid enough to build upon. Ecclesiastes and the wisdom literature tells us that all things will fade away. They are all temporary and they they don't last. The prophets teach to us that the word of God stands forever, and Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 7, tells the parable about people who listen to his words and put them into practice are like the ones who build upon the rock. And those who don't build upon sand and that when the storm and the rains and the difficulties come, that those structures fall. So what rock does Jesus mean? Well, it's the profession of faith that Peter gave the truth about who Jesus is, that the word of God is eternal and the church is built upon Christ as cornerstone. And what we know is that the church does experience difficulty and it does experience the rains and the storms, but what we can trust in is that it will not fail. You see, all man-made temples fall. The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. The pagan temples that were all throughout Ephesus all fell. But the church will stand forever. Friends, hear this clearly. Jesus, Jesus is a worthy foundation to build upon. And so I asked you earlier to consider, what foundation are you building upon? Reflecting on this in light of our text, have you given thought? What foundations or core principles do you maybe find that you put your trust in? Is it your intellect? Your worldview? Is it scientific data? Is it the opinions that you form as you watch the world around you? Friends, please, please consider today how solid are these foundations upon which you are trusting your very life There is one foundation which is solid. Christ alone is worthy. The cornerstone, the foundation upon which God is building. So let's keep reading verse 21. Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple to the Lord. This word temple here is very specific. In fact, in the Greek, uh, which this was written, there are two words for temple. One kind of means the whole thing, and one means the holy place. This is the holy place word. So as Paul writes this, he wants people to understand that this is the place where the presence dwells. Even a Gentile would understand this word because pagan temples were very familiar. And so last week as Scott was talking and teaching about the temple, he said that there was this wall of division that existed in the Jewish temple that kept the Gentiles away, not even from the presence of God, but like from getting even too close. And it was under the threat of death. And so can you imagine that for a place that not even the high priest could enter any time, but only after certain sacrifices and rituals to be in the presence of God, how big of a deal this really is. 
For even for a Jew, this was radical. But for a Gentile, this is the presence that Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden from. You see, the sin of man meant that we were separated from that presence. This is the same presence that rested on Mount Sinai in thunder and storm, that sat enthroned above the cherubim, that caused fear and trembling, even as we were just singing. And now this presence is with the believer? It's nearly too much to grasp. The holy presence of God in us? You see, the problem with that is I know who I am. I'm not worthy of that. And so I would doubt. I'd say, I'm not so sure you really mean that. Maybe you would doubt. And I was thinking, even in my doubt, God gave me this picture. I'm so thankful. He said, think about an empty house. And I did, and I was spooked. Maybe it's just because I'm a scaredy cat. I'll confess that. But I think about no no matter how beautiful a home is or how well decorated and appointed it may be, if it's empty, something doesn't sit right. Because we know that homes are meant for that which dwells inside. If you've ever walked through an empty building, maybe you've felt this. I've walked through this empty building. And let me tell you, it's weird. It makes noises. It's weird. Okay? I already told you I'm a scaredy cat. We build buildings because of what's inside. And when this one's empty, it's weird. And so when I'm tempted to question, God, do you really know what you're doing? God says, I'm building a building and it's not because I don't mean to be there. God intends to dwell in what he's building. And church, this is us. God intends to dwell. That's the entire point of a home. That's the entire point is that it's occupied. And then I often, maybe if I'm not insecure about it, then I'll get real prideful because I'm messed up. And so I'll think, yeah, that's a house. That's good. God's do- Look at all the stuff God's doing for me. I'm doing real good. God's made me pretty awesome, and I'm going to live in that house. Ooh, you see, I get prideful, and I start to think this building up is really about me. I start to think it's about what, who I am. That's why I'm so thankful that as we read this text, what Paul does is he constantly puts what God's doing in us right up against the fact that God is doing this for him. If you're taking notes, you've got to write this down. This is good. What's happened in us is not for us, but for God. I'm going to say it again. What has happened in us is not for us, but for God. Now, I wrote that and it weirds me out. Because when I read that, I feel like, are you, like, I feel used. And then I thought, if God desires to use me to display his glory, then I'm okay with that. Friends, that's the gospel. You see, what Ephesians teaches us is we were just rubble. We were just worthless building material laying on the ground dead. But God decided to bring us up and form us into something that would be a radical demonstration of his glory. 
And it's for a reason. Look in verse 21. Just get your pencil, circle the word grow. Because the reason that God is doing this is for our growth. He is doing this and it has a purpose. Jesus, the one in whom the whole structure being joined together grows. God builds this and it's designed for your growth. You see, the individual is prepared and then placed. Not bricks, not stone, individuals, people. You see, I think we get the fact that it's like I'm connected to Jesus. But we miss sometimes the idea that what's being connected is people to people. Paul makes that very clear with the Greek wordplay. In the original language were you to read this, you would not miss that he purposely pairs three things together, fellow citizens joined together and built together. And here's the takeaway. What does this mean? If you thought church was something you could loosely connect with in this independent, come when it's convenient, all I need is my Bible sort of individualistic way, you've missed this scripture. You've missed that this is designed to be tightly connected, woven together, fitting together with one another. And it is the context in which God is building. Friends, would you hear this? And would you allow us to help you connect? This this morning, would you allow us to do that? I just want to suggest that maybe for you what that means is that you would decide to show up here more often. That instead of letting many other things that often creep up as higher priorities get in the way, that you would decide it's worth going to. And so I'll show up more often. Maybe that's the step that you would take, that we could help you connect. Maybe you would take a step today to join a small group. Because in a small group is where we see these relationships really flourish. This is where we really get to experience and live out the truth and the power of this text. Or maybe you would decide, I'm going to join a team today. I'm going to serve. I realize that this is something that I need to help make happen. And I want to help serve on a weekly basis. When you take a step today that is towards connection, you will understand much better what it means when we say that the church is built together. Built together on Christ. So what do you think of when you think of the church? What comes to mind when you think of the church? Do you think of a building? Listen, we're, I don't know how we could miss this. This isn't our building. Do you think of a place? Or do you think of people? Do you think of people that gather together to display the glory of God? When we get this right, we realize it's not about what happens up on this platform. It's not about the things we do up here. And it's not about the people that stand in the spot I'm standing that are trained and ready. We realize that the value is placed on you. And that people are indispensable. Building and equipment, that's going to fail. But you have value. Listen, this is why I'm so glad we're going multi-site. 
I'm so glad the church is not a building because when I think of the church, when I think of FCC, I think about a culture. I think about a group of people that have a heart that is for our county, for people who don't know Jesus and don't know citizenship and are strangers and aliens. I think about a group of people that are willing to do anything it takes. I think about a group of people, and I cried during first service and I think about people who showed up yesterday and washed toilets. I think about people who are here this morning at 6.30 in the morning. And they're here every week. And they pray and they sing. And they don't care about a building, they care about you. When I think about the church, I think about you. And I love it. Because in you, I thank God for you. All the time, I thank God for you. I thank God that you're willing to be used to display to Afton the heart of God. I have no more words. Let's pray. God, thank you for your people. For how we're joined together in such a unique way. And how in the midst of all of that, God, your glory shines forth. It is so beautiful. And the beauty we see is you, Lord. And we can trust in these, this foundation that we stand upon in Christ. And that when things get hard and we don't understand it and we want to complain and everything doesn't work out like it should, we don't have to worry that the foundation we're standing on is unstable. We don't have to worry that the storms of life are going to throw us off. We don't have to worry about being kicked out of a place we don't belong. We can trust in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. And thank you, Holy Spirit. May you be praised in all that we are and all that we do.